What's up, novel friends and family? It's Julia from Novel Finds Podcast, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Uh, and today we have an awesome author chat with Amy L. Bernstein. Uh, she is the author of many books, but today we are talking about the wonderful book uh, called The Night Hawkers. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on, Julia. Of course, of course. I'm so excited. I'm actually still very excited to talk about this book. Um, and I say still because we had a slight audio mishap. And so this is round two of an awesome, awesome chat. So The Nighthawkers is a paranormal romance um, about these awesome archaeologists. So how do you feel about uh, me just reading a book synopsis before we get started? I think that's a great idea. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Archaeologist Pauline Marsh is convinced she's an unlovable freak. Who else in the world shares her ability to locate ancient artifacts without a map, hear their stories, and commune with long-dead artisans? All that changes when handsome, charismatic Gray Henley persuades her she's the girl of his dreams. For Pauline, Gray is the family she never knew. And for Gray, Pauline's treasure-finding skills will make him immensely rich. But the lovers are keeping secrets from one another, and that push their relationship to the breaking point. Gray is in league with a criminal relative, and Pauline is visited by an otherworldly stranger with a message. Sometimes it takes a broken heart to discover your true destiny and find eternal love where you least expect it. I was very excited, first of all, for... Um, archaeology, just because that's a really cool thing to me. And then to find out that she has like these cool supernatural powers, I was like, even better. But before we get into the meat of the book, I do have a very important question for you. How do you arrange your books in your personal collection? Not by color, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, and you know, um, and some people, um, I guess, I've never seen it, arrange them um, spine in and pages out, which it occurred to me that that's almost like um, mooning somebody, if you oh think about gosh. it. You're right. That's what it kind of is. It's like the book's mooning you. Right. It's like you're getting flashed by your yes. books all of the time. <laughs> so, so so my husband and I, first of all, we have a running battle because we, we live in an apartment and we've run out of room. Uh, for more books. And it's not that I, mm -hmm. we don't love books. It's that we literally don't have places for them. And I'm an anti-clutter kind of a person. So I'm not one of those people who's going to have piles on the floor. No, I, there is nothing wrong with that. Lots of people do it. That's just not going to be my style. So mm -hmm. the bookshelves are crammed with his non-fiction, mostly non-fiction, thick non-fiction books. And then other shelves are crammed with my fiction books. And the fiction and the non-fiction do not in intermingle. None whatsoever. Right. And we just, we just don't really have room for more. You know, we already have a couple that are kind of like stacked illegally, you know, sideways, which it's oh, like, no. you know, it's, you know, I wish they weren't, but yeah. So that's, that's why the library is my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So w when you go out and get a new book, do you have to like find one that you don't read anymore and like give it away to someone? Do you put them in like lending libraries? Well, you know, you, you there's a tiny, tiny lending library in our apartment building. And I'm always feel, I always feel guilty because I feel like it's like stuffing somebody else's not, it's not that it's books are garbage, but I mean, I, I feel like I shouldn't 
do that. I feel like I'm trying to just mm-hmm. solve my own problem by making it somebody else's problem. So right. it, it's really tough because when you're when you're kind of out of room, you have you're constantly negotiating about that. Mm-hmm. You know what what new books come into the house and what could we what could we give away permanently? And a lot of places won't won't take these books anymore because they've just been overwhelmed. You should put some of your own books in the lending library. I should. I actually. The problem is that um, there's such a back order now with almost all publishers. It takes it can oh, take yeah. literally months now when you place mm-hmm. an order. In other words, I placed an order for a, a fresh order for Nighthawkers almost four weeks ago, and you know those books haven't shown up yet. It, it's slow. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So when I get them, I I tend to hoard them a little bit. No, that's fair. That's fair. I actually had a an, a book order issue where like I ordered one. I pre-ordered it and then it came out in March and then I never got it. And I was just like, I don't understand. And I finally got an email from the the sender and they're like, oh, we just canceled this. I was like, you got to tell me. You got to tell me that. Like, thankfully, I went and bought it at the store because I didn't get it when it came out because it didn't come in the mail. But that was just the back order is really unfortunate in the book community right now. So I hope that that gets fixed sometime soon. I, I don't think it will be soon. And I think certainly authors are learning that they've got to order way ahead. And I think bookstores, I'm hoping to do um, a reading in the, in the, in September for another book. And I'm worried that this bookstore is going to have to pre-order like early June for it to have it by mm-hmm. September. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Oh man. Well, good luck with that. I, I'm sure that they'll, they'll have it figured out by then. Right. Well, right. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> you could be glass um, half full cause I'm glass half empty. <laughs> Getting into the Nighthawkers, um, I'm sure this is a question that everyone asks you, but what was your inspiration for the Nighthawkers? My inspiration came from the book that I wrote just before it, which was um, a dark mystery thriller that's coming out in August called The Potrero Complex. And in that book, I wove in um, archaeology and a, and, a, and a very hidden archaeological site um, I wove it into the story in a secondary plot line that helps to illuminate one of the characters. It's not the main theme of the book by any means. It's kind of off its own corner of a subplot. And actually, that was so extraordinary because I actually interviewed um, in real life an archaeologist who works for the state of Maryland. Maryland is where I live. And I asked her to help me understand what certain sites might look like and where they might be um, because I wanted some real imagery. This became very um, cloak and dagger because indigenous sites where you don't really see what the features are. There might be um, mounds of rocks and you don't understand that those rocks are in a particular surviving pattern or they may or there may be um, known to be um, remnants of settlements from literally thousands and thousands of years ago. Those sites are protected and not open to the public. And so no one will tell you where they actually are. But she sent me pictures that I just, I could have no way because you're looking at like a piece of, of, of a section of a woods or something. But I got the those evocative imagery from that. And I loved like all the spy nature of like, I can't tell you where this is, but I'm going to mm-hmm. share this picture with you. Like, oh, that's so cool. So I loved that so much. I said, I've got to do more with archaeology. I've just got to. And I wanted to write a romance novel. And I said, I'm going to just marry these two up and see what happens. So then I got to do a ton more archaeology research after that. Oh, that's so exciting. And I do have to say, like, the romance and archaeology pairing was just chef's kiss. It was great. It was kind of like the mummy where there's like the archaeologist and they're trying to find something. And then there's also like the subplot of the romance. It was just it was great. 
Um, so do you have a favorite line or section from your book that you'd like to share? I have a uh, passage, it's maybe about between two and a half and three minutes that I could read. Love um, that. All okay. right. Okay, great. Let me just open up this file here. So this scene is between the two lovers, the two protagonists, Pauline and Gray. And Gray calls Pauline Penny or Pen. So you'll hear her called that. And they are going out on an illegal night dig. And that's what night hawking is. It's when you're illegally trying to dig up artifacts. Um, so I'll read you this scene. The night was overcast and cool, a perfect night to dig. Pauline directed Gray to a field where they parked behind a stand of trees, not fully hidden, but the best they could do given the terrain. A row of construction backhoes stood like hulking shadows a few dozen yards from them. You were right again, Penn. Looks like they're getting ready to turn this place inside out. What a crime! Plowing up all this virgin ground for what? Ticky-tacky houses and cul-de-sacs and ugly plastic swimming pools? Yeah, that's the real crime, Gray said as they shouldered their packs. Yet somehow we're the ones breaking the law. When actually, our true mission is salvation. Nighthawkers to the rescue, Gray laughed softly. Now we're too, genius. Pointing to another stand of trees about an eighth of a mile from where they stood, Pauline pulled out a laminated map for his sake, archaeology theater. She showed him the lay of the land. It's not an elevated site, she explained. But the historical record is pretty clear that this is where the settlements were the most dense and active, and the penetrating ground radar images I examined back home confirm the basic coordinates. At the tree line, she indicated the spot to begin digging, counting on her lover's single-minded pursuit of ancient treasure to prevent him from asking pointed questions. He'd reassured her he wouldn't, but he also wouldn't brook mistakes, especially not by her, not now. They strapped on headlamps, the focused beams enabling them to work hands-free without lighting up the surrounding area, then started in on separate trenches. She positioned him directly above the sword, which stood hilt-side up in its soil coffin. She pictured it with perfect clarity, every facet as well as its precise position. Then, without warning, she left Gray behind. She hovered just above a small brick factory outside Strasbourg, France, where weapons of war were hammered, smelted, and assembled for export to the American colonies battling to free themselves from Great Britain. A French worker in soiled breeches whistled a folk tune as he loaded horsemen's sabers into a wooden crate packed with excelsior for the journey across the Atlantic. Now someone called her name. The Frenchman? No, surely not. So cool. I really enjoyed reading when they went on their night hawking digs. I mean, not that night hawking is good. We don't condone illegal activities here on the podcast. But just reading about them going out and finding the artifacts was so cool. It was so cool. Um, yeah. I, I worried that I made it so cool. I actually put a note at the end of the book, which basically it sort of says, well, you know, it's a word. I forgot exactly what I said. I said, look, I made some stuff up. Some of it's kind of real. I said, I said, please don't, don't, don't do night hawking. It's really bad. I was like, right, I was like, yeah. don't do this. <laughs> it's like, I just <laughs> set up this whole book about how romantic and fun and exciting this is. Don't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, please, please don't work of fiction. No, I saw that note and then laughed because I was like, I mean, that's fair. That's a good, we don't condone illegal activities here. Um, there is kind of a romanticism to like going out and finding something that's hidden and then uncovering it with someone and just having that like singular adventure 
with them. I really, I really enjoyed their first expedition where they were by themselves. And it, once they got into like the businessy part of it, it was hard because I mean, Gray's like business partner is not a good character. And then he's like inserting himself into their, their night hawking. And was like, no, I just want it to be Pauline and Gray. I'd say he's a great character. He's a bad guy. <laughs> he's a bad guy. Great character. Villain. It's so much fun to write a villain, you know, and everybody always says that, right? Playing villains is fun. Writing villains mm-hmm. is really fun. And I haven't had a lot of experience with that. And so I really, I really wanted the guy to be believable. Well, I don't get everything away. So I'm not going to be super specific. I wanted to be believable, right. but that you really, really didn't like this guy. And I really disliked the character a lot. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. loved hating him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was very, like, suave and quiet, but powerful. And just one of those, exactly. like, he intentionally puts himself in the background. So no one is looking at him while he does illegal activities. Pulls all the strings. And, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally, totally saw Puppet Master from him. But Pauline and Gray's first dig where they pulled up the face pot. Yes. I just, that was maybe my favorite artifact of, of them all just because it, it was so cool. It was so well described and just such a lovely way to show just their beginnings, I think. When I was researching and looking up many different artifacts in many different parts of the world and certainly in the, in what could be possible in the U.S. And of course, that's going to lead you to, you know, indigenous artifacts when you're in, when you're on U.S. soil. I, it was so much fun to find the thing that would say to me that they found, they're going to find that because it was like the perfect mm-hmm. thing and I could describe it. And I was looking at pictures of, of real, you know, real examples. So I could really pick, I could really make that image kind of come alive. I, I, al- mm-hmm. I almost wanted the novel to be illustrated. You know, you could start to see. Yeah. Some of these things. yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Do you have a favorite artifact that you talked about in the book? I, I don't because I, I, I loved all of them so much. And some of the ones that I said the least about were actually some of my favorites. These incredibly ancient totems. It's this bizarre carved face that almost looks like um, Edvard Munch's scream face. It's like mm-hmm. an oval face with like a big O. It's kind of creepy looking. And they put these faces, they were carved from wood and they were in an ancient swamp like that's now in Germany. But we're talking like thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And they were these tall totems that no one knows what purpose they served. But you would come upon this, you know, face on this stick and maybe it was a boundary marker. Maybe it was to warn you off, you know, from, from, from a clan, one clan to another. Maybe it was marking territory somehow. And these things are so old. And the notion that, you know, we reach back in time and recover these things. So I spent very little time on the book on that one, but it was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I share with you my favorite line from the book? Yes, please. Okay. Um, so my favorite line is, time is only a construct of convenience. Mm-hmm. If you go back into like season one of our podcast in almost every episode, I'm telling Maggie time is a construct. And so when I read this in your book, I texted her immediately and was like, Maggie, Maggie, that she just said this line. And I'm I'm going crazy over here. It was it was so great. Really funny. Because like, time is a construct. Like, it's still it's one that everyone lives their lives by. But it's it was created by someone. It's not like nature ascribes itself to any sort of time. It's only people. Exactly, exactly. And, and how could something so artificial completely rule our psyches through, I know. through every, you know, every moment that we're alive? It's, it's really is incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. It is. And so like, 
Pauline kind of having a personality outside of time and and her her powers of like being able to travel throughout in a non-linear fashion and just like experience time as it is and not linearly the way that we think it is uh, it was just it was so cool and i was like oh this is perfect so you know one of the things that worried me when i was writing it was that in creating a character who winds up bursting sort of the the bonds of normal living in a nor- our space-time continuum as we know it, that she would like mm-hmm. move, she's almost, she almost becomes other dimensional in a way. I worried mm-hmm. that, that she would start to seem de, she would seem dehumanized and the, you would lose a sense of connection or caring about it because you know how it is sometimes, you know, like in the superhero world, if, if a superhero is just too powerful, you just almost can't relate to them. So I yeah. really, I worked really hard to, to stay connected to her vulnerabilities and doubts to, so that that wouldn't, yeah, she yeah, wouldn't yeah. be overtaken by that. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that there is a very good balance of that there, especially like once she started kind of accepting her gifts, she, was still human but she was much calmer she was wasn't like fighting against like what she was given in life and so that was it was a nice arc for her to kind of just soften a bit and accept and love well and yeah and you know i want i'm trying to speak to the universal which is that when we find when we finally find our place in life it it can take us a long time to get there you are going to feel calmer and centered when you finally figure (laughs) out who you are and what you're about in this world yeah do you have a favorite character in your book? And is that character the most similar to yourself? Are you Pauline? Can you travel through time? I, I really wish I could. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would go way far back, which is really scary. And I would go way far forward, which maybe is more scary. But I would have to, I'd have to be invulnerable in either direction, right? Because I don't want to... <laughs> Because otherwise, right? Yeah, you can't let it paralyze you. <laughs> Bad things can happen. Um, no, you know, I, 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 I didn't. I feel like I didn't really write myself into this book, except, except for my preoccupations with things that are sort of ancient, because time is sort of like an ancient artifact. There's, there's so much poetry to that, and I really love that. So the the things that are in the book are really endlessly interesting and fascinating to me. But the characters, I really didn't. I really don't think I put myself per se. I'm in some of my other books a little more than this. I did like, um, I liked Dean No, just because I thought that she was, um, she's not a villain at all. There is a villain. We just mentioned that, but she's, mm-hmm. she's sort of irritating. And I liked the fact that she's irritating and short on patience. I mean, there people are like that just generally. I feel like there's there's always a line to the patients. Um, I really liked the dean a lot. I thought she was a a nice so like pseudo mother figure, but not really a mother figure for Pauline. She was like watching out for her and then trying to get her on her path. And then when Pauline wasn't going on her path, she got irritated. Like naturally, that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. It does. Right. I liked I liked the dean. The dean was cool. And her interesting traditions for the the post grad like after graduation for all of the students to just like yes. clamber into her tiny house. Right. How how many how many rules? How many rules in real life university life could I break and like I tried to break a bunch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just is so funny. And then everyone's just like, "Well, she just does that. There's nothing we can do. Just right. let her do what she does." So moving out of the book and more into writing, how would you describe your writing process? My writing process is so different, depending both on what what the book is and where I am in the book. 
And so with, with the Nighthawkers in particular, um, I started it a few years ago and got something like 30,000 30, words in and realized it just was an absolute disaster. I had written myself into an incredibly boring corner slash dead end. And, oh, you no. know, I, I put a fair amount of time and thought into it. And I'm really glad that I recognized it just wasn't working. But I didn't want to give up on the story. I still really loved mm-hmm. the story. So I took a little time and I went back and I started re-outlining the book about how to get into it. And I, I came at it from a completely different place and it worked much, much better. And it's an important lesson to learn that, you know, you have to, sometimes you do have to try and go down some blind alleys before we figure out how a story needs to be told. Um, and that's, that didn't happen with, with, um, with my other books, my other books like had other challenges, like trying to write an ensemble novel with lots of different characters, with parallel stories, and uh, with my um, with my mystery thriller that's coming out in August. I hadn't written a mystery before. I just keep diving into these genres. It's like I'm just going to figure out how to do this. And so, you know, there your process is you you have to follow some convention. If you if it's, if you're writing a mystery, first of all, there has to be a mystery. There has to be a protagonist who's going to solve this mystery, kind of whether they mm-hmm. are willing want to or not. And you have to you have to have you have to drop enough. You have to make sure that you don't want the reader to get ahead of you. I mean, maybe some mysteries like that. They want they let the reader figure it out early so the reader can feel good. But I didn't want to do that. I'd rather I want you to keep guessing. And so you're not going to figure this out. It's too it's too wild and crazy. Like you'll never guess in a million years what the what the mystery really is. So there for process. I mean, you really just trying to figure out how to hit those plot beats um, mm-hmm. properly so that it's paced up appropriately so that it's not solved too easily or too quickly in the, or in the wrong part of the book. So would you say, do you, are you like a note taker throughout the whole thing? Do you like keep a skeleton of what you want at the beginning or do you just kind of let it come out of you? With each succeeding book, I, I write more notes. I don't, I, um, you know that term, uh, being a pantser? which is one of my favorite. I don't. It is such a great term. So people often say to a writer, are you a pantser? A pantser is a writer who writes by the seat of her pants, where you kind of just basically start drafting with very little idea of where you're going. Yeah. And I would say that when I started writing novels, I was a little bit more in that camp. In other words, I had an idea, but not that much of one. Mm-hmm. I really, I'm working my way toward the other end of that spectrum. I'm finding that the more I plan scenes story arcs, characters, arc of change, arcs of change, the more I understand that, the better my writing will be and the better I will write one scene to the next. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important, but I'm, you know, I'm still learning how to do that, but I think I'm getting better at that. Cool. Well, thank you for teaching me a new term. That's kind of fun. A pantser. Um, so of all of the things that you've written, because you, you have written a lot of different stuff. You've written nonfiction, fiction, plays, poetry. What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite of, of what you've written? No. I, it, for me, it's all about both mood and what I need to say. So I love writing. Uh, I write a lot of essays on the medium platform. Mm-hmm. I love writing essays, but you can reflect on something personal. You could reflect on something that happened. You can reflect on something in the world that affects you. Um, you can reflect on something you've read. I write art- essays about writing, but I also write essays just about things happening in the world that have happened to me. But I, I always try and make it as universal as possible. It's about, it's about sharing with readers. It's not about, 
you, you can't be solipsistic and self-absorbed about it or it just doesn't compute, it doesn't come across. Mm-hmm. So I love that form. And, and you can really get people engaged quickly compared to a book, which takes years. You know, you can do an essay. Some of them I bang out actually really quickly if I really know what I want to say. And I also write quite a bit of poetry and I've, I've been publishing some of that in various journals. And that's a whole different headspace. You know, that's where you're mm-hmm. going. You're going deep into uh, the emotions behind the human condition and vulnerability. It's being very vulnerable. It's very raw poetry. Um, it's not polished like an essay. Well, it's, it's polished, but the words have more, there's fewer words and they mm-hmm. have a lot more weight. So I love each of these things because they each have their, their, their time and their, and their place and their mood. I love that. How long have you been a storyteller or have you always been interested in writing or was there like that random time when you wanted to be like a dentist in your life? <laughs> no. And that's, that's, what's funny. I, I only started la- allowing myself to call myself a writer in the last couple of years, really quite recently, um, because I felt that it was something that you had, it was like this really specially earned title. But the, mm-hmm. the truth is I've made my living as a writer for decades in nonfiction because I've been a journalist and I've been a speechwriter and I've been a communications director and I've worked in government and nonprofits and it always was around writing, writing mm-hmm. and, and writing and editing other people's writing and all that kind of stuff. And I've written everything from congressional testimony to cabinet level speeches to, um, you know, stories for public radio. So, I mean, I was always writing, but that was, it was also work. So, but right. you know, yeah. writers, oh, well, if you're a writer, it's this other thing. So, so I, I guess I've always been a writer, but I only just recently decided that I had earned my, my, I had put in the hours of the 10,000 hours so I could call myself a writer. Well, good. I'm glad you call yourself a writer because you are. Your book is awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. Yeah, of course. So have you noticed like there are authors that influence your style or are there um, people that you like, I don't want to write like this person whatsoever? Um, or like, tell me about your inspirational authors. Right. Yes. I, I, to me, it's such a challenge to try and find my own voice as a writer that I really make a point of not letting other writers, no matter how much I admire them, actually influence me. Now that said, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I'll read an amazing novel and I have to, I have to say Colson Whitehead is a great example. His writing seems incredibly simple and straightforward. Like it's not fancy. But he's telling the most amazing, heartfelt, wrenching stories that really get to you. And he's doing it in a simple style. And I really admire that. Um, so it's not something I want to imitate, but I would I want to aspire to writing simply but powerfully. You know, I love Henry James, which um, but that's extremely convoluted, complex, difficult writing. And I'm I'm never gonna try to write like Henry James. So Well, there you go. Henry James can be Henry James. Yeah, Henry James can be Henry James. <laughs> All right. So your website says that you are also a nonfiction book coach. Can you tell us more about that? That sounds like a really cool job. It really is. So um, I have certification from Author Accelerator and Author Author Accelerator really is the premier source for um, doing some very intensive training to become a book coach. And you can become a book coach in fiction or nonfiction. Because I write fiction, I don't want other fiction authors and their work in my head. For part of mm-hmm. the reasons we just said, I don't want to find myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so, but because I have a nonfiction background and love nonfiction, I'm certified as a nonfiction coach. So what is a book coach? A book coach is not an editor in the traditional ways that it's not another way, way of talking about editing. 
a book coach is someone who will help an author put up some guardrails for that author to really get through a structured process to figure out what is the book really about? Who is the ideal reader? What is the arc of change in the story? What is the real, um, what's the architecture of the book from scene to scene and chapter to chapter? How does it really flow? Where is it really moving to? What are you really saying? Um, so a book coach will provide some tools and some real uh, guardrails as well as some encouragement and hold a writer accountable for sort of meeting some milestones along their process. It's a really hard thing writing a book. It's really hard doing it alone. Mm-hmm. And if you have a book coach, you've got that person that you really can can be really be your trained sounding board um, mm-hmm. for for where you're really going because you can get very lost very quickly. And the book coach will help keep you help help you find the path both to your story and even your best best path to getting published as well. Ugh, that's awesome. Do you have any like favorite types of nonfiction that you like to to do or just all nonfiction? So I I I really want to work with I want to work with what I call the tough stuff. Um, I want to work with, let's think of them in the best sense of the word, um, the nerds in the world who are subject matter experts. Um, They're not writers, but they have a real passion and a wisdom about what they do. And they may Mm -hmm. have something to share with the world that maybe goes against conventional wisdom or that hasn't been presented in a certain way before. People in 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 the sciences and in the humanities, and maybe maybe moving from academia to wanting to get into a more commercial sphere. Um, I'm open to just about anyone, but um, I want to be one of those people who, who helps to translate from the expert to the world. And I really do yeah. come out of I come out of a nonfiction background where I did a lot of that kind of work in government anyway, and I like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's those are areas I really want to I really want to work in. Oh, that sounds so cool. And are you looking for any nonfiction books? Can people look you up? My author website, which is amywrites.live, amy, W-R-I-T-E-S dot live. There's a page in there about the book coaching, but I also have a separate book coach website, not to overload people, but it's wordfirstbookcoach.com. And they, right. they could go there separately or just find their way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll have um, both of those in our episode description. So right. if anyone's interested in finding your books and reading them or writing a book and having you help them, they'll, they'll, we'll have those resources. Okay, we've made it to the end with our final and hardest question, I think. Um, what is your favorite novel? I love so many contemporary novels for so many different reasons that I can't possibly pick a favorite. However, I can say without reservation that my childhood favorite was A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline L'Engle. And my preoccupation with time, I come by it honestly. I think it's a lifelong (laughs) obsession. That's amazing, though. I love finding little things like that when I'm just like, oh, this is the way that I am because as a child, I really loved this thing. Exactly. Um, it's just, it's fun, like little surprises along the way. Do you have any final thoughts before we we sign off? I always appreciate it when readers are willing to take a chance on an author whose work they don't know. Um, I hope that I can become better known and one of the readers that, one of the writers that authors turn to. Um, I, I hope folks will give my, my books a chance. Um, I, I really appreciate it when, when readers... I do take that chance um, and step away from their favorites and try someone they haven't heard of yeah. and give it a fair shot. Well, I second that. I'm so glad to have been introduced to the Nighthawkers because it is a, it is a very cool book. Thank you, Julia. I really appreciate that. 
Of course. And you have one coming out in August, you said? I do. So the, my mystery thriller, The Potrero Complex, comes out uh, in on August 2nd. And I'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. about that, too. And people can find out more about that on my website. Nice. And The Nighthawkers is going to come out the day after this episode comes out. Is so, that cool or what? June 6th. It's and so this, cool. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of like a sneak peek. Um, so if you're interested in finding both uh, the... The, you said Protrero Complex? Protrero Complex and the Nighthawkers, both on easy pre-order now. And again, links are on the website, which is the easiest way to, to get there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, with that, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. Um, our Instagram is at Novel Finds Podcast. Shoot us a DM if you have any suggestions or questions. And uh, always, thank you for being a novel friend. Uh, and thank you, Amy, for being on and talking to us about your book. Thank, thank you, you so Julia. much. Thank you. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Um, we will see you all in just one week for our next episode. <laughs>